0: of the Sunday celebration service for the Center of Spiritual Living in Huntsville, Alabama. We hope you feel the grace, the beauty, and the love of our community as you hear the message of the week. So we open to the silence. The bell calls forth this spacious place within, it is free, it's free of a narrative, it's emptiness dancing. So could we open to that emptiness that is dancing within our hearts? Here's that beautiful music that says, Thank you for this day, Spirit. Thank you for this day. This healing, this healing, this healing day. Dr. Ernest Holmes says it's the perception of wholeness that is all healing. And so when we put our attention on this innate wholeness, this innate holiness, and what you put your attention on begins to grow. So we're no longer identifying with a narrative of some challenge that we might be experiencing, but we're opening to an innate wholeness, holiness, that is awaiting our recognition, which is our first step of treatment, our first step of prayer, to recognize that there is this loving presence that lives within all creation, And we choose to put our attention, not on the narrative of the mind, but on the wisdom of the heart. This month of February, we are exploring the idea of the wise heart, the cosmic heart, the heart that is filled with compassion and the deepest acceptance for the suffering on the planet. And in having compassion and acceptance for the suffering Today we're going to explore the transformation of the roots of that suffering so that we can set ourselves free to be who we are, which is a jubilant and beholden soul, an eternal soul that's living in this human experience. And this human experience is by its very nature here to teach us how to evolve out of a false identity with an egoic self, that finite self that wails and suffers, as Emerson would say, so that we might discover this infinite presence that lies stretched in smiling repose. What a beautiful image that is. An infinite presence that lies stretched in smiling repose, right there within our cosmic heart, right there within our jubilant and beholden soul. And so let the breath become conscious as our attention, like a little pebble that you would throw into a pond, that attention pebble begins to just descend from the head into the heart until it takes up residence in that soulful place of remembrance. I am remembering who I am. La ilaha illallah. All there is is Allah, the one. There is nothing but Allah. There is nothing but this presence. And by affirming that, by putting our attention there, by breathing in and out from it, we begin to have a transcendent experience. And we smile. Because we can say, as this lovely calligraphy above my head coined by Thich Nhat Hanh himself, I have arrived. I am home in the sacred moment, knowing that all is well and all shall be well. And from that mm, seed that we plant in the soil of consciousness, we now open our eyes, knowing that it is growing in the body of our experience, uniquely to each one of us. And our job is to say, yes, beloved, this life belongs to you. Can you imagine if we gave our life to Source? That's that Namaste consciousness. My beloved Amanda is going to be starting a new yoga class. And it reminds me of when I would religiously teach yoga every morning. Gigi was in all my classes, 9 a.m. And we had a class filled with, shall I say, elderly women and myself. And it was what I call gentle yoga. It was not your kick-ass yoga. No, it was this going within and finding the listener, finding the witness. And you know, that simple act of finding the observer self is worth its weight in gold. Because then you realize your body is giving you a message. It always has been. Your heart is giving you a message when your feelings come through. If your mind is tormented with all kinds of ideas, could we step back and observe the mind? There's that observer self. And then, of course, we would always meet in the namaste consciousness. When I go into that place in me where I know that my soul is abiding and expressing, and I bow to that place in you, well, then we invite this synergy this kind of resonating field to manifest in a shared experience that is so much greater than having one by yourself so that's the beauty of the sangha the community comes together in the vibrational field that lifts us up out of our local self that oftentimes wants to wail and suffer into this infinite presence that lies stretched in smiling repose it's so funny last week i talked about our superpower is our ability to be joyful You know, remember, Jesus said to be like a child if you would enter the kingdom. He understood that there is an innate joy. So the superpower is this joy. It is the ability to play. So Bob and Kelly today created music for us to play. And the ultimate gift of that consciousness is laughter, the healing power of laughter. So could we goof on life a little bit? When I was a young man in New York City, I was so serious. And I remember I was working at a music publishing company on Fifth Avenue on the 31st floor. And I was so serious about life and the direction I was going in. Ashley, I made you look minor. I was just all over the place. And then Linda Todaldi from the Bronx, she would come over. She had the blue eyeshadow. This was in the days when women did the blue eyeshadow. And she'd say, David, goof on it. Goof on it. What do you mean? You take it too seriously. You need to goof on it, David. Goof on it. And then Judith Heller, she was from uh, the um, West Village. She was a nice Jewish girl. She says, David, it doesn't matter. It doesn't matter. You make everything matter so much. And so here I am at 22 years old realizing they're teaching me how to survive life, to goof on. Is that the birthday girl coming in here? Oh, happy birthday, darling. You get to pick the flower arrangement out there for you in the other room. Yeah, okay. it's in the... Ad- yeah, but she gets one arrangement, the prettiest one, and you pick it out, okay? And I think you brought some donuts, didn't you, to share with everybody? They've got cupcakes and finger food for all you all to celebrate her birthday. How old are you today? Um, ten. You're ten. Oh, you're in double digits. I remember when I went to double digits, I freaked out. Nine was easy enough, but when I we went to the twos, oh, so the best is yet to come. She's a teenager now. She's a teenager. Oh, isn't that? You want to hold? You want to hold the penguin on your birthday? Oh, what's that? An owl? You want me to hold him and give him a blessing on your birthday? Okay, so you hold my baby and I'll hold your baby. And that's the game. Maybe that's what we're here. We're doing, we're walking each other home. So yeah, I'm exploring the the wise heart, the wisdom of the heart. And today I'm exploring the um, transformation of the roots of suffering. That's a big uh, egg to swallow, to transforming the roots of suffering. And so I pulled out one of my gurus, his name is James Twyman, And I wanted you to hear how he expresses what the wise heart would look like in your life. It's very helpful. I'm going to put you down here by my side. You can protect me, okay? This is what he says. He says, the kingdom within the heart. Remember Jesus said, seek the kingdom of heaven and everything will be added unto you. Well, James Twyman places that kingdom of heaven within your heart. And, you know, science has even talked about a cosmic heart. We connect in that heart space where only love abides. Ashley was reminding me that I quoted Ernest Holmes' where he says divine love brings together, that's what this is, and maintains together in harmony and balance those who belong together. So divine love's in charge. Could we open to that? And here's James Twyman explaining what this kingdom within is. He says there is a kingdom within the heart that can neither be seen nor understood. We keep trying to understand this with our brain. Your brain's not gonna get you there. It's like taking a flashlight and trying to illuminate the sun, but your heart can get you there. So he's taking you to that cosmic heart. Eyes were not made to see such details, and the mind was not designed to understand such grandeur. Don't you love the way he writes? But the heart itself, the heart itself, the resting place of the kingdom I am, which is the name of God, describing feels that which could never be seen by human eyes and comprehends that which could never be understood by the human mind. We're going to a place that's the mystery of belonging to the universe. And we've got to stop thinking we can compartmentalize and figure it out with our brain. It's not gonna happen that way, but you can feel into the truth. If you've ever had anything that you've dearly loved, maybe a pet or even that penguin over there, you can feel your way into the love. So I'm gonna invite you to access this other brain, this other wisdom. It's so funny, my Zen calendar yesterday made me laugh because it said the young student asked his guru, He says, what happens when there is no mind and there is no object? And then the guru said, that's when you see the three-legged toad with an enormous elephant on its back. Ha, ha, ha. You've set yourself free. When there's no mind and no object for the mind to focus on. You're free of that crazy habit. He goes on to say, he says, I sit in a garden and I sit under the big willow tree And I find myself communicating, connecting with this presence that's always there. It just required that I go and sit in the garden under the willow tree. Now, I'm a gardener. Anybody out there gardeners? Anybody go for walks in nature? Anybody know what a tree is? Okay. (laughs) As you sit there under the tree, you become aware of a presence, a sense of love and warmth that fills your heart. Feel your way into this, this presence that fills your heart. Imagine that little bunny rabbit running down the alleyway this morning with his little white cotton tail sashaying down the alleyway looking for a friend, I'm pretty sure, because that's what happens in spring. The bunny rabbits, the robins were sitting right outside my door, three robins declaring who's going to take the big tree outside my house because, you know, they want to lay their eggs and find their boyfriends or girlfriends or whatever they do under the tree. You know, without a doubt that you're in the presence of the beloved. Tia knows that, doesn't she? You know, without a doubt, you're in the presence of the beloved, just sitting in a garden under a willow tree. You feel a deep connection to this divine presence, and you realize that you've always been connected to it. Always, always, it's always already there. You've been connected to it, especially when you were a little girl and a little boy. Even if you were not aware of it, there is this divine love that's so available, but you have to get out of yourself and get into this sense of connection that it's all the beloved, the garden can do that for you. You realize that the journey to God is not a difficult one, but rather it's a very simple one. It's just about stopping and ringing that bell and maybe putting your hand on your heart and you can say, I have arrived, Amanda, I am home. Hmm. All you need to do is sit in the garden of the heart. Oh, he put the garden in the heart, Miss Tia to sit in the garden of the heart. I thought the garden was outside and I was sitting in the garden and now all of a sudden he's put the garden in my heart. That's Bert coming through by the way. He put the garden, you're sitting in the garden of your heart and you are allowing the beloved within to reveal herself to you. When Tia does a treatment, it's so perfect because they're the most complicated treatments. She just says beloved, 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 beloved. And then whatever comes after that, who knows because the beloved is speaking. So what if that's our capacity to just touch that place and remember it and let it remember us? You know that this is not the end of your journey, but guess what? It's the beginning. You've taken the first step on the path that will lead you to a state of oneness with all of creation not just with a significant other and i be you know in this lovely class we're teaching they talk about soulmates and how everybody's seeking a soulmate but they say sometimes the greatest soulmate is the one that pushes all your buttons and knocks you out of conformity and consistency and all the things that you thought were real so what if the soulmate could be the one that takes you out of your preconceived ideas of what a relationship should look like and they say sometimes the best soulmates are the ones that push all your buttons and launch you out into a whole new life Well, I can say I have married my soulmate. (laughs) You smile to yourself as you realize that this journey to God is not a destination that we seek and find. Rather, it's a never-ending journey that will bring you closer and closer to the truth of who you are and will remain for all eternity. Throughout eternity, we are this soul-evolving and going through lifetime, perhaps after lifetime, to arrive at the place where we realize I don't have to seek out because I've gone within and I realize it's all the same life unfolding in new, beautiful sort of ways. I seem to be very close to a lot of death at this particular time in life. We had a lovely memorial service last Saturday, and I, I, when I walked in there and saw all these people that I have seen from the center and others, I felt like this is a rehearsal for so many of us a rehearsal to know that, yes, the form is gone, but the spirit endures. And then to know yourselves as spirit, even while you're still in form, well, then the capacity And I spoke to my prayer partner this morning, I said, you know, I'm I'm being haunted by my twin sister. And now Phyllis and I are having this relationship, the lady that lived a block down. And I, since we have the wind phone and I get here at 715, I was out at the wind phone talking to Phyllis this morning and telling her that she was loved that her life mattered and even though she was depressed and filled with cancer at the end and it seemed like a horrible demise, it was a sacred transformation. When Virginia Burroughs was holding her hand, one day into hospice, she was told she had six months to live, she lived six days and she's holding her hand and she gave her permission to shift out of her physical body, which was filled with pain, into her light body and she says, that's what enlightenment is, where you shift out of the egoic self into your true nature so Phyllis, yes, she died physically, but she set herself free spiritually to be with all of us. And now, call me a little bit crazy, Judy, but that's who I am. So he wrote a little poem about the eternal, the wisdom of the heart. And I'll close this little, with this poem. He says, When the heart lies in a kingdom unseen, unknown to the mind, but felt by the soul, the beloved, with a capital B, residing so serene within you where peace and harmony roll, peace and harmony roll. The willow tree, sheltering from the heat, invites us to sit on a bench divine. So we're sitting under the willow on a bench divine, a presence felt, love and warmth, now to greet. We're greeting the love and the warmth just by sitting in silence under the willow tree, feeling the beloved within the heart with deep connection, eternal and fine, with deep connection, eternal and fine. And in this stillness, a oneness is revealed, a key to happiness in this path to God. It's all a pathway to the one. And we get there by stopping, going within, and listening. That's what yoga is all about. It means to yoke back to source. And if your yoga doesn't yoke you back, and it's the yoga of life, You know, could we see it all as a way to go home? It's all a way to to say, I've arrived. I'm in this place of silence, this place of peace, this place of divine love, this radical deepest acceptance of what is. I'm no longer seeing, wanting things to be other than what they are. Then you're free to meet life on life's terms. What a glorious moment is that. So in this stillness, a oneness is revealed. A key to happiness is the path to God and a journey, not hard, but one simply sealed, in the garden of the heart where we trod. In the garden of the heart where we trod. When Michael and I talk, we're always in the garden of the heart. And we were talking this morning about, do humans have the same soul contracts that animals, because we definitely have soul contracts with our dogs and our cats. And then we looked at each other and said, yeah, we humans can have soul contracts. How many have soul contracts with me out there? Two, three, four? Okay, just a few of you, thank you. I'm just looking for a confirmation. Anastasia? Yes, okay. (laughs) Leaving the garden, we carry within gratitude. We carry within joy. And we carry within the contentment in tow. And the journey not over, but does begin. A never-ending path where truth doth flow. It's a never-ending path. We never get to the destination. We're always in the next breath, seeking to discover, yet again, Here's the kingdom of heaven in a little girl holding a penguin. Now that is your birthday gift. You get to make love to that penguin every day. For the journey to God is not a place. It is a journey within to the love. Staying in this cosmic heart, the wise heart, the kingdom of the heart. We set ourselves free. So yeah, that's the wise heart. That place that's always there waiting for us to stop long enough to go within and access that which is always there. I had this lovely conversation with my student, Mark Accomando. It's funny, I call him my student because he's been a minister for 20 some years. But he calls me religiously, like his teacher, and um, he shared with me a dream that he had. And he said it was one of those numinous dreams. Numinous, my teacher Llewellyn Von Lee said, he was a Jungian, PhD guy, and he says, "In, in the dream state, we're giving these messages from other planes of reality. And our job is to tune in to these dreams. So Mark had one of these crazy dreams. He said, I was speaking in a little church uh, in the desert. He's in Palm Desert. And he says there were like 20 people in the room. And then there were like 40 people in the room. And then there were like 400 people in the room. And he thought, what's going on? And he woke up from the dream and he said, that was the strangest little thing. Well, then he said the oddest thing happened. Every Friday morning at 9.30, he has one of those live stream podcasts for half an hour. Where he takes people and his whole message is about the end of suffering and how to get past our suffering in the world how appropriate and so he said As i'm and he says i get on there every friday morning at 9 30 and he said and you can see how many are listening to you and he said it starts off with three he says i'm lucky if i get five and he says there were three there's my three people and he said then it went up to six then it went up to 16 before you knew it we're up to 30 and he said oh my god my dreams manifesting it's up to 60 and he says there's 60 people listening to my little thing and i said mark there's the universe letting you know don't be attached to who's listening because the right and perfect ones are always there if you just open to it so we have a lovely group today of a lot of new people that i haven't met or seen and it's so nice to know that we're pulled here by something greater than ourselves could we trust in that something It's something that brought Thomas and I together on phone calls when he was incarcerated and it created a brother of my soul. I hadn't anticipated that. So what if when life brings together as that divine love and maintains together in harmony and balance, we can say, yes, this is here to assist me in assuming the consciousness, Miss Aunt Amanda, that's required for me to step out in this new dimension. Even if the world doesn't accept it or doesn't understand it, she knows what I'm talking about. When my mother would come and visit me here, she thought it was in this strange religion. And, you know, I was valedictorian in high school, and my mother stayed in that little town in South Dakota, and they would always ask, how is Scott doing? That's me. And I'd say, what did you say, Mom? She said, it's none of their business what you're doing. I said, oh. And I said, did you tell them I'm a minister? Well, why would I tell them that? Then I'd have to explain that religion you're in. I said, oh, okay. Just know you're not alone, Amanda. I said, have you shared with them that I'm with Trey for... No, it's none of their business who you choose to okay. In other words, I'm the big secret, and it's okay. I can live in, because I can attract crazy people like y'all. I don't have to hide under the basket anymore. (laughs) I can be who I am and know that that's okay. We taught this lovely little class by Tara Brock. She's a young spiritual teacher. It's learning to nurture your inner light, and she calls it the gold within. And she talks about embracing everything that life gives us. When life gives us lemons, as the old saying goes, you make lemonades. So she says when these negative things come up, and this is one issue I take with Science of Mind, the old way they used to teach it, they used to say, deny what you don't want and affirm what you do. So if anger came up, you denied the anger and you affirmed peace and harmony. Well, she says when the anger comes up, meet the anger. Because oftentimes, anger is the face of something much deeper. In the Sufi tradition, they say there are 10,000 veils of ignorance that keep us from knowing who we are. They say, so when you lift the veils, make sure you lift them one at a time and that you do not tear the veil. So what if one of the lowest veils is this veil of anger? And you know, anger is the easiest thing to express when really anger is masking a deep sense of hurt. An example was my sweet husband. The neighbors cut two huge oak trees down and he is so angry. He came in the back door and said, David, I'm so angry. I don't know what to do. And I said, go to your room and breathe. And... Um, But he's dealing with that anger and he's hurt he's just deeply hurt he said you know i love those trees and when they cut those trees down it's as if they killed my own children i said i understand that and now the neighbor that's next door she had the tree people up and he said if she starts sawing on that tree i'm getting in the car and heading out don't take it personally i said i won't i know how you are with the trees but that's how he meets his edge so here's what tara brock says in this beautiful little book trusting in the gold There's a wonderful saying by Emma Curtis Hopkins that says, this too is good, this too is for God, and I demand to see the blessing. So this little chapter is called This Too. This Too is for me. And so she says, I remember one morning during our group gatherings for yoga and meditation when I was filled with an angry thought about what was wrong with the teacher and with this whole ashram that I was engaged in. She said, but I also felt shame for all the negativity that I was fighting within myself and fighting others in my world. She was caught up in that place where, you know, she's struggling. So she says, some wise part of me within. Well, that's infinite presence that lies stretched in smiling repose. So hot, my little sir. That was the voice that came to Emerson. So hot, so angry, my little sir. So some wise part of me whispered within, let it all just be here and let all these things and all these feelings belong. Let these feelings belong. They're just coming up to hopefully wake you up. You know, I'm feeling um, like I don't belong. So could I learn to belong to myself? I'm feeling that this place is hostile. Could I learn to see where it isn't hostile, where maybe I'm projecting my own stuff onto this? So she was having a wake-up call. Some wise part of me whispered, let it all be here, just as it is, and let all things and all feelings belong. So each time these negative feelings arose within me, I sent this simple message to myself, this belongs. Then the anger arose, and I said, this anger belongs. Then the shame arose, and I said, this shame belongs. This feeling of loneliness belongs. Whatever was arising, I said to myself, this too, dot, 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 this too belongs. And so when those Meyer Briggs things come up in us, and they want to rattle our cage, Miss Susan, you can say that judgment belongs, and your surgery is scheduled for Wednesday at noon. <laughs> I was simply recognizing that, that in these moments, all the waves that were arising in the ocean of my being belonged. All these waves in the ocean of my being belonged. And then you think of it as the ocean of love. And on that ocean of love, there's this wave of expectation. There's this wave of resentment. And yes, they're all part of the ocean of love, but they're there. So when they arise, okay, could I be present with them? I was simply recognizing that in these moments, all the waves arising in the ocean of love of my own being, they belonged and they were part of this life that I was living. With that, a profound shift happened within inside me. There's still going to be a lot of negativity out in the world. By not trying to stop the waves and by allowing them to be there, I simply relaxed and I opened. Yeah, there's some anxiety about selling your place, Ann, but you're going to be so happy when you find that perfect place. And so then you can smile. Moving is hard because you have to get rid of your stuff and you have to let go of things that you're attached to. My husband wants to leave the country if certain things happen here, and I think, you know, oh, dear could be a tree being cut down and he's going to be gone. A profound shift happened inside me. But it was not trying to stop those waves. By allowing them to be there, I simply relaxed and was open. I was this ocean, including all her waves. And in that wholeness, I could sense again my inherent belonging to my own life. And guess what? To all life. We're all part of the one life. So I didn't have to treat that negativity. Later on in the book, she says her practice was to pull out the newspaper and let herself get really triggered by the newspaper. Or you could turn on the news, it doesn't matter. And then she would put the paper aside, she'd turn the news off, and she'd take that negative energy that she was feeling and she'd transmute it by just being present with it, by breathing into it, by seeing that maybe this anger is pointing to something much deeper. When I studied with Jeff Foster, who wrote The Deepest Acceptance, he had a little acronym that he gave to all of us. How to meet those moments when these roots of suffering are arising the fruit is called rain the r stands for you recognize what's coming up oh there's confusion there's anxiety there's frustration you recognize it and then the a stands for you accept and allow it okay it came up to be met so there's anxiety since sylvia was standing in a line to get some tickets got there early to find out they were all sold out and instead of stomping her little feet and getting her car and going away She just rested and trusted the universe will provide, and sure enough, she got two free tickets. Did she manifest that? No. That was divine order giving her what was by rights of consciousness, and she saw it. It was her positive attitude that opened her to this. So the same thing is true here. If you meet the suffering, so that's the A, you allow and you accept it. The I stands for you inquire into it. What is this really showing me about myself? Where am I blocked? It's Rumi that says, the purpose of life is not to go chase after love and to express it in all of its myriad ways. He says, that's my, that's my purpose in life, and my goal is, and when it's not there, to figure out where I'm blocked to that love. Where am I blocked to that inherent grace of love and acceptance of what is? Then you, then you meet your block, you meet your obstacle to being free. So he goes on to say, saying this belongs to my feelings didn't prevent me from listening to the intelligence of my emotional life and ultimately leaving the ashram, just because she got ticked off at one of the teachers who didn't teach yoga the way she thought it should be taught, but instead of reacting from a place of victimhood, it allowed me to listen and respond from an awake, discerning presence, no longer the victim, but there was this awake and discerning presence. I see Susan Jackson living in that awake, discerning presence, even with the guy who has the truck across from your house. And then you and the truck gets loud and you smile and turn on your radio. You, you meet it with a sense of humor. Oh, I didn't tell you what the N was for, did I? Recognize, accept, inquire, and then the N stands for nurture yourself. In this whole inquiry process, let it be a loving, nurturing thing when you meet your obstacles to love, when you meet that place where you're stuck, when you meet those roots of suffering, and God knows we all have them, when you meet those roots of suffering, I had an aunt just like Tia's mother and I, when I t- when you talked about your mother, I saw my aunt and I realized I used to hang the phone up on her. Now I have compassion because she's no longer on the planet and I can say she taught me how not to be by her example. And I give love to her. She was doing the best she could considering, oh, anyway. So he wrote this lovely little uh, last thing. It allows me to listen and respond from an awake, discerning presence. And she, then he says, this takes me to a place called radical acceptance. The phrase that Thomas knows, a radical acceptance, how could we radically accept and seek change at the same time as accepting life as perfect just as it is? And she said, that's the irony. Life is about change. It's about evolution. And yet it's perfect just as it is. So clarifying that, since I wasn't going to stop reading the newspaper, I decided to turn it into my meditation. So when this suffering nabobs of negativity should arise, could I smile at them like Lee always does and say, ah, they're here showing me my resistance. Each morning I would open the newspaper. I'd check out the headlines. I'd read a few paragraphs, then I would pause. I'd notice my reactions. I'm being triggered again, Amanda. Ah, I'd allow the experience to move in my mind and my body, not denying or feeding it. I don't have to feed the monster when it comes up. I just observe the monster. And just witnessing, and I circled that word three times, there's the witness of the yoga class, just witnessing the response that I was having to these latest reports so that I can either choose to see myself as a victim and spiral out with negative reaction, or I can see it as just the world expressing their frustration, confusion, fear, anxiety, it's all around us. Mark told me that um, he works in rehab with the 12-step community, and he took a class here at the center that I taught. On the Inca spirituality, and he said it has done more good for me in teaching. And in the Inca spirituality, they say there's not positive energy and negative energy. They say there's a lighter energy. They call it the Sami. And they talk about opening the crown chakra and inviting this Sami, this enlightened light energy of spirit within. They said there's also the heavy energy. They call it the Hucha. And the Hucha is the stuff that gets you really like this. We all know a little Hucha. Feel your Hucha. But you know what they say in, in the Inca tradition? They say, give your hucha to the mother, Pachimama. That's the earth. They said, the mother loves your hucha. And so, when he's working with these recovery groups and they have a lot of hucha, he asks them as they go on climbing the mountains around Palm Desert, he says, now I'm going to invite you to take that heavy energy, that shame, that blame, that judgment, that unworthiness, that loneliness, and find a tree, find somewhere in nature and give it to the mother. The mother loves to hold the hucha. Mothers know that, don't they? When their little girl is crying, she picks her up and the hucha just dissolves. And so something as simple as offering your hucha to Pachi Mama sets you free of these patterns. Well, I'm just saying it's a simple remedy if you want to take it. So she goes on to say, I began to see that when I opened to the full force of my anger that I was feeling, I could sense within this anger a fear for the world. And as I opened to the fear, this is the inquiry stage, it unfolded into a sense of grief for the suffering and the devastation that was inevitable in war. And out of the grief arose a deep caring. See if you keep to inquire beyond the anger, there's the fear, in the fear there's the grief, and in the grief there is this call from humanity, from the world. I love watching nature channels and because they're talking about our planet, crying out for us to rescue her. So could we have compassion for our environment, for our rivers? Um, Jody was saying she and Bob uh, went out for a hike up at Sipsi National Park, and it was so beautiful, in the waterfalls that con- felt held by the universe. And as they were leaving, they noticed all the human waste—beer <clears throat> cans, cigarette butts—and they spent the last part of their journey out of Sipsi Park by picking up the trash. If it was theirs to do, it was. A- so we get to ask ourselves: she- we-, we held peace rather than violence in our hearts. There was a deep caring that arose within me for the humans, for the animals, for the trees that would be harmed by the violence that was happening in the world. She says, I held peace rather than violence in my heart as I held them in my heart. And by holding my feelings of anger and frustration with a radical acceptance, I don't have to get rid of that anger because that anger is really the mask for fear. It's the mask for caring. Trey's not really angry at the neighbors. He's heard about the loss of the trees that were like his children. So I could find then my way for caring that gives rise to wise action. Acceptance of whatever arises in us in this present moment is not a passive act to say, I accept everything just as it is. No, it's an active participation. When I can accept life on life's terms, then I can see the hope that maybe there's growth growth opportunity here. Maybe we could say, would you be willing to let that go? A lovely man in our class, he's a psychiatrist, And um, he shared at the end of class last Wednesday, when he was a young man in college, he was a student of Hegel. And he said, I read everything that Hegel wrote. And one of the things Hegel said was that we are in a kind of a crazy sense of order on planet Earth. We've always been in a crazy sense of order. And then what comes along through grace is chaos. And when that chaos happens, it's not a bad thing. We're in chaos on the planet right now, if you haven't figured that out. But out of that chaos, he said, there's the potential for a new order. So could we all in our own lives Kim's got a new order coming in her life, a a life of self-acceptance, a life of love, a life of meeting life on life's terms and not taking it personally. So by holding my feelings of anger and frustration with radical acceptance, the deepest acceptance, then I could find my way to caring that gives rise to wise action. That's that shift out of chaos into wise action. You're in the right place, Amanda, even though your husband's way over there in another country. No, I'm just kidding. Acceptance of whatever arises in us in this present moment is not a passive act. I said that, but you heard it a second time. Rather, this engaged, mindful presence allows us to respond to our world from the deepest compassion and the deepest wisdom. There's that wise heart again. The deepest compassion and the deepest wisdom. You know, when I see the world out there struggling and suffering, I'm not here to fix the world. I used to think I was because my mother had a PhD in codependency. And everybody that was suffering, Scott, you need to go fix that one. You need to go rescue that one. No, no. I just need to know that they have the potential within them to wake up to I, want to I want to experience the love that I am in a new way. But we all have to get to that place where we take radical acceptance of our life just the way it is, knowing that the world is crazy. It's always been crazy. I can't remember a time when it wasn't. But yet I don't have to add to that craziness. When I can accept others where they are then there's the potential, and then you hear Dr. Ernest Holmes. He says, show me someone who is for something and against nothing, and I'll show you an individual who can transform the world. So could we be for love? Could we be for that deepest acceptance? And then when, as my sister would say, when the shit hits the fan, when that's the way she talked, oh, I think, okay, well, let's see what that mess looks like and find a pony in here somewhere. I'm going to close with my friend uh, Matt Kahn. Who wrote this lovely little book that kind of changed my life this is the other one i was going to suggest to you thomas it's whatever arises love that whatever arises love that because love is the transformative power and at the very beginning of this beautiful book he explains what that means he says by loving what arises you unearth the deepest understanding of the universe by loving what arises you unearth the deepest understanding of the universe in the most heart-centered way, whatever is arising. You know, Shay and Tia has been having some really tough times with his beloved brother, who had such a um, tumultuous end, like like Phyllis Blaha did. But yet, you know that they're free now. I'm so I'm so thrilled that Phyllis, who was angry at me at the end, now she's with me all the time, just like my twin sister. I'm either going crazy or I'm being haunted by the dead people. And I know it's not the fault of the wind phone out there. I was out there this morning having a conversation with a whole slew. Best of all, when love can be invited to work through us and respond on our behalf, we don't even need to know why things occur as they do. We just get to open to this compassionate love that's always waiting for us. This is Matt Kahn. All that is required is a willingness to open our heart. That's all that's required. We have a wonderful chant we'll sing someday. It's called, I am opening, I am opening. My heart is ready to receive. I am opening. And you can just do this for yourself when you're holding your little girl, when she's holding the penguin, when you're holding Herman. My heart is ready to receive. So best of all, when love can be invited to work through us, and respond on our behalf, you don't even need to know why things occur. All that is required is the willingness to open the heart. And with every step forward into this new spiritual paradigm, you are able to celebrate the arrival of heart-centered consciousness around the world while holding a sacred space for the ascension of earth and the awakening of humanity. When he uses the word ascension, which means when two or more are gathered in this collective compassion, then we've shifted the consciousness on the planet. That's the 100th monkey. We're all opening our heart. Not my heart and Michael's heart and Tom. No, the ascension happens when we all lift our hearts and minds. And that's that's the namaste consciousness. Okay, the importance of cultivating unconditional love, this is the end, is an essential stage in the completion of our journey. To complete our journey, we need to find that unconditional love for all people, your mom and my aunt, Tia. Whether meditating or whether manifesting a soulmate, healing our body seeking liberation from suffering or integrating past realizations into a fully embodied state of awareness each spiritual milestone swiftly finds its way to our our ounce our once love oh find find their find its way to us once love has been invited into our lives we get the healing once we invite this love in no matter what story you're telling yourself, what struggle, what suffering has been going on for years to just open. Robert, you're just a big open heart. That's all you are. When those troubled souls call you, you open your heart and they take refuge. I feel it when I hear you talk. This is the dawning of our highest potential. It is the emergence of our soul into the beauty of human form. It is the long-awaited fulfillment of our divine destiny. And for the spiritual growth of all who inhabit this magnificent planet, it is the love revolution that begins within each one of us. Could we know that we are heir to a revolution of divine love? Last sentence. Um, This is is only the beginning, so whatever arises, love that. So shall I do a little closing meditation? Um, uh, Yes, David, will you hit the bell? There he is, sitting behind Dina. I couldn't see his head. A mindfulness bell was a gift to the center. Oh, how sweet it is. To end where we begin. In that radical stopping. Uh, in that radical opening. This too is good. This too is God. And I make a demand on the universe to see the blessing. in whatever arises. So whatever arises, I make an intention to love that. And by saying love, that's not a silly emotion that I'm conferring on what arises. That's the deepest acceptance of what is. Love bears all things, endures all things, accepts all things. And so when the anger arises, I embrace it. When the fear should show its fearful face, I hear Thich Han saying, Ah, there you are, my little fear. And when the fear is seen, and held, I discover that there is a concern underneath that fear. So I meet that concern with compassion, because something within wants to care for something without, perhaps, that seems to be challenged. Maybe it's a little plant that needs water, or a bunny rabbit that needs a home. My fish have come out of dormancy, and now their two little heads are surfacing in the pond their little mouths are opening. And I say they are asking for love in the form of fish food. And so we have these little relationships that may seem insignificant, but are really quite profound. Because how we do anything is how we do everything. And so if we can, embrace the wise heart and greet in that heart those unhealed parts of ourself those shaming parts of ourselves, those lonely parts of ourselves, and say, you have a refuge here. You have a refuge here. And then we can love what arises. Not with the idea that we have to change it. But it has a way of transforming itself once it is embraced. Uh, and So we make a commitment this Sunday morning When I was a little boy, there was a song that I was raised with that I didn't realize how profound it was. It said, row, row, row your boat, not somebody else's boat. Gently down the stream of life. Merrily, 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 merrily. There's four merrilies to every three rows. So have fun and joy as you move down this river of life because guess what? Life is but a dream. And we're creating that dream by what we hold in consciousness. And when we wake up from the dream, ah, we're still there. We're just no longer holding a fantasy of how life should look. But we're accepting life on life's terms. This is the way it looks. And I get to know, as I put love around it, it has a way of transforming into the good, the God, the one that knows no other. Rumi said, this being human is like a guest house. And come knocking at the door of your consciousness, are all your fears and worries and judgments and concerns. And he says, invite them all in and sit them down at the table because they may be coming to clear out your house of some unwanted and unneeded aspects. And so we do that this Sunday morning with playfulness, joy, and a birthday cupcake as the reward in our future with maybe some flowers to boot. Ain't it wonderful? And so it is. For listening to our podcast. For more information, visit our website at www.cslhuntsville.org.